encourage you to open up your scriptures to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're going to be talking about Christ the preeminent one. And as we look at this particular passage of scripture, you may wonder why that particular title. Um, as we're going to be talking, at least for a good part of it, on a different member of the Trinity, different member of the Godhead. And so uh, that might seem confusing, but Lord willing, um, I'll bring that together for us so that it doesn't seem so odd by the time it's all done. Um, let's just start by reading together the passage of scripture that we're going to look at tonight predominantly, and then we'll have a word of prayer as we dive into this particular passage. I'm going to start at the very end of chapter 15, really the last couple of verses of chapter 15, because it goes uh, into chapter 16. you got to remember sometimes that the chapter breaks in our Bible are not inspired. Don't, don't let that scare you. We put those in for reference purposes. In the original uh, gospel writing, John didn't write down the numbers, chapter 16, verses 1, blah, blah, blah. So that's for our benefit. But this passage actually goes together, and so we're going to read it together. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Jump down to verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I do go away, or if I go away, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they did not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and declares it to you. Let's pray before we dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have this evening to look into your word. And God, I, I ask and pray that you would so gather my thoughts and, and my words as up. My desire is to faithfully proclaim your word to these folks that you would take my words and my thoughts and that you would put them together and that I would be able to convey them in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you and helpful for these folks. And I pray that your Holy Spirit, as we have just read in this passage, the spirit of truth will take the truth of your word and do a work in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds the way that you desire to do it. We ask your blessing on this time in Christ's name. Amen. Now, you notice that I skipped a few verses in the middle of that. We're not going to hone in on those necessarily. And they do connect with the previous verses 
Uh, just before I started reading this particular passage, some of the verses just preceding 18 uh, to 25 of chapter 15, Jesus takes some time there and he takes some time in the midst of this particular passage to let the disciples know of the reality that they're going to face in the days and the months and the years to come. But not just those disciples, but disciples of Jesus Christ throughout history. And not just throughout history, but actually in the day and age in which we live now. Because Pastor Josh just got done praying for those believers around the world who are suffering persecution for Christ's sake. Jesus doesn't hold back from his disciples. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't um, give them the, the rainbows and unicorn version of things. He takes the time just hours before he's going to be arrested and tried and beaten and crucified and buried to let them know that the time that's coming for them is going to be difficult. Now he's going to, continue some teaching that he does here, but he wants to let them know that difficult times are coming. He wants to warn them. He wants to let them know that they're going to suffer persecution for his namesake. This actually deeply saddens the men, but it's one of those things that, that Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples know. To the point where he says that in verse 16 or in chapter 16 the the verses that I didn't read he actually says that there are going to be those who will who will kill you and think that they're doing God a favor in doing so so they're even going to persecute the the disciples they're going to they're going to even take their lives they're going to kill them thinking that they're doing what God wants them to do this is kind of the situation that these disciples are going to find themselves in and as he's telling them these things, he's letting them know that he's got to go away. And this saddens the disciples. And in fact, John lets us know through a very specific word. He uses it here in verse 6, and then he uses it in, in verses 20 to 22. He uses a word for sorrow, a verb that is never used anywhere else in the gospel, actually. It's the word lupe, and, and it's used to talk about inward grief. It's this, this kind of grief that cuts to the heart. It, it's actually deeply painful. These disciples, as Jesus is telling them what's going to be happening here in the, in the hours to come, and then ultimately in the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come, and as he's honest with them, this actually sorrows them. This creates so much sorrow in them that they really begin to start looking at themselves and not really looking at and understanding what Jesus is going to even experience. And yet Jesus takes the time to encourage his disciples by telling them about the counselor, the comforter, the helper who is going to come. And so we're going to take a little bit of time talking about the Holy Spirit, but as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we see the preeminence of Christ in the midst of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I trust that you'll be able to work with me here. Let's just reread some of these verses here because we're going to be talking about two ministries that the Holy Spirit has. One, we're going to be talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world. And then we're going to be talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. 
There's some things that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit as we get into this. But let me just reread these verses so that you can start to get a feel for things here again. It says this in verse 26, when the counselor comes, your version of scripture may call him the comforter. He may be called the helper, depending on your English translation. But he says, when the counselor comes, the when I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. Right there, we start to get a clear understanding of one of the ministries, one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has. He is to come to testify about the Lord Jesus. Then he says, you also testify, about, uh, testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And then he says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. He doesn't want these believers to fall away. doesn't want them to stumble, even though he, in verses 2 through 5 and 6, tell them what they're going to be experiencing for his name's sake. And then Jesus says this in verse 7, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is... What he's going to do, he's going to convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and he declares it to you. So we're going to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in two different ways. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But we're going to see that one of those key things that the Holy Spirit does is he glorifies Jesus. And we see the preeminence of Christ in that ministry that the Holy Spirit has. There's a couple of things that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit, and I don't have time to get into all of this. This is a whole separate doctrine and study that we can get into um, so we're not going to get into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit completely here, but there's some things that I think we really need to understand about the Holy Spirit. And we, we have to get it clear in our minds because in this day and age and in, in, and in our society and in the influence that it's having on our church, maybe not our church specifically, but maybe, but at, it, the church in general, we have a very wrong understanding of the Holy Spirit sometimes. First, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force from God or some energy from God. This is, this is not a biblical concept. This is not a Christian concept. We, get be, we sometimes are being influenced by the world about things, and we sometimes don't even realize it. We listen to people like Richard Rohr, who claims to be a Christian, and he's on Oprah, and he's talking about supposedly Christian things, and when he says these things, they're completely unbiblical. And yet people 
read his books or hear what he has to say and they get influenced by this man who speaks no truths from scripture. We watch, you know, the Star Wars series. And hey, don't get me wrong, I like the, the Star Wars series, the original Star Wars series. We won't get into the new Star Wars series. We're not even going to get into that. But we hear about the force and the force being in people and all this sort of stuff. And we, I, I literally have read articles where people try to kind of take from the, the Star Wars movies and, and bring a spiritual aspect, almost like a Christian spiritual aspect from it. And try to kind of talk about how it relates to the Bible and, and spiritual things in the Bible. And I'm just like, this is so far not what the Bible is talking about here. And yet we kind of take these things in and we begin to start applying these things to Christian doctrine and Christian theology. And we start messing things up and we start messing ourselves up. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force or some impersonal energy from God. That's, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. We need to make that abundantly clear. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is given names in Scripture that imply personality, like what we've seen here. He's called the Counselor or the Comforter or the Advocate, the Helper. He's given personal pronouns just in the passage of Scripture that we have here. He's not called it. By the way, the, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it is a neuter word. It's a, it's a word that carries no gender to it. In the language, and yet when the Holy Spirit is described and talked about, the Bible writers, the writers of Scripture, apply he, a personal pronoun to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has personality. John says it in John 15, 26, John 16, 7 and 8, John 16, 13 through 15. He's not the only writer that does this, but even here in this passage, he says, when the Comforter comes, he will do this, not it will do this. He's described in the members of the Godhead in the baptismal formula in Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's identified in the apostolic benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. He's identified with Christians in Acts 15, 28. The spiritual gifts are distributed by the will of the Spirit. It is by His will that we receive the spiritual gifts that we receive. In Revelation 2, 7, the Bible tells us that the Spirit speaks. In Romans 8, 26, it tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us. In Acts 13, 2, 16, 7, and, uh, 6 and 7, 20, 28, we're told that the Holy Spirit calls missionaries, that the Holy Spirit oversees the church, that the Holy Spirit commands the life and the practices of the apostles. Holy Spirit is a key member of the Godhead, and we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm talking about some impersonal force that we can't know. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit seals us into the day of redemption. He indwells the believer, that he fills believers. 
We're told that he can be grieved by our sin. This is who Jesus is talking about when he says, I'm going to send you the counselor. He, he's called the counselor, the comforter here. Why? Because as Jesus is telling his disciples about the events that are coming, and it's saddening them, and it's cutting them to the heart, and they're, they're deeply distressed, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a comforter. And this is what he's going to do. And then he shares the two ministries here in this passage that the Holy Spirit has. The first is that he has a ministry to the world. And I want you to see this because this is so important for us to understand. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is for your benefit that I go away. I want you to just see really quickly that when Jesus says this, in some English translations, it says it's expedient that I go away. There's a couple of different reasons for this. If Jesus doesn't go away, then he's not doing the work and the mission that he's been called to, which is to die on the cross of Calvary, to bear the sins of the world, to, uh, to offer that rescue, that salvation, that redemption that we desperately need as human beings from our sin. That he, was, he had come to die, be buried, be resurrected save people from their sins it was necessary for jesus to go away it was necessary for jesus to do what he came to earth to do to be the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world jesus says it's it's a benefit that i go there's actually three uh, words for go or go away jesus says it's I go away and then he uses a different word john uses a different word for go away and then he says finally if I go, I will send you, just so that you know, he actually kind of develops that thought. When he goes the first time, and I just wanted to share this with you because I found it absolutely important to me to really understand the, the gravity and the depth. When he says at the very beginning of verse 7, the first word go or go away, it just simply expresses departure. I need to go. I'm departing. But the second time he says it, it's a totally d different Greek word, and it means to depart for a specific purpose. He was departing so that he could send the helper to them. And then lastly, he uses a totally different word in verse 10. He says, I go. He's emphasizing a departure that affects them personally. It affects a personal relationship. I want you to think through that for a second. Jesus going, going to the cross, going back to the Father impacts a personal relationship. I need Jesus as my Savior. If Jesus is not my Savior, I have no personal relationship with Him. I have no personal relationship with God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and then was buried and rose again three days later and ascended and went back to the Father, He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who, what? When I put my faith and trust in Christ, He indwells me, He seals me. That impacts me personally. That impacts my personal relationship with God. I have the Holy Spirit of God living within me, guiding me, directing me, convicting me, teaching me. Jesus says it's, it's important, it's beneficial, it's expedient that I go. The same word was used one other time in, in the gospel. And you might not realize it, 
but it was said by somebody who was also talking about Jesus and Jesus' death, but he was looking at it from a totally different perspective. In John chapter 11, verse 50, we hear Caiaphas, the high priest, use this exact same word. In my English translation, it is the word advantage, but it is the same Greek word. He says in verse 50, you're not considering that it is to your advantage or that it's expedient for you or that it's a benefit to you that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He's totally thinking, hey, let's just get rid of Jesus. Get this troublemaker out of here. Don't you realize this is more beneficial to us if he's gone? Not realizing the significance of what he was saying. He did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to also to unite the scattered children of God. He had no idea of the gravity of what he was saying, and yet he said it. It's, been a, it's a benefit that Jesus should be crucified. And Jesus is saying, it's a benefit that I go. Why? Because I'm going to send the comforter to you, and he's going to have a ministry to the world. Let's look at the ministry that he has to the world. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin. I'm going to stop there for a second because I want us to think through the word conviction, the word convict. The word convict means to refute an adversary completely. When the Holy Spirit confronts somebody about sin, he's refuting them completely. He is demonstrating guilt so that the truth of the charge will be acknowledged. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, he brings us to that place where we understand how guilty we are before God because of our sin. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does, he convicts of sin. Here it's the general word for sin. It's the idea of missing the mark. But then Jesus hones in on the, the, the specific sin that's being talked about here. He says about sin because they do not believe in me. The sin that the world is guilty of ultimately is not putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, I want you to think about this. This isn't my thought. Just some commentary writers that were talking about it, when, but they're talking about the significance of, of this statement here. When I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm forgiven of all my sin, past, present, and future. Right, that sin is dealt with once and for all. God tells me that he separates me from my sin as far as the east is from the west, that he remembers them no more. Totally forgiven. We know the sin of unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's that result in? My separation from God for all eternity. See, it's absolutely significant that people come to that place where they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's the sin that's so significant here that, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of, their unbelief. What else does the Holy Spirit do, though? He convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. Righteousness really emphasizing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he set the ultimate example for us because he was always obedient to the Father. 
that he sinned, he did not sin in any way, shape, or form. That in fact, based on what Habakkuk 1.13 says, Habakkuk 1.13, talking about the holiness of God, he says, but your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate the wrong, tolerate wrongdoing. And understanding that for Jesus to go back to the Father, to be in the presence of the Father, means that he is completely righteous and pure. He is God the Son. But for somebody who looks at Jesus and, and is struggling to see the deity of Christ, how could Jesus possibly go back to the Father and stand in the presence of Almighty God except that he is completely righteous? And so when... We're talking about the righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts the world and helps them to understand the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection of Jesus Christ. When we are convicted of our sin, we are also convicted of the fact that we, what we look like in, in light of who Jesus is. I need Jesus as my Savior. Why? Because I can't save myself. Only he can do it. Why? Because he's the only perfect one. And he took my sin on his body on the cross. The world is convicted of righteousness. And then lastly, about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. We understand that those who do not trust Christ as their Savior will spend eternity in hell. They will be judged for all of eternity. We understand that, but in this specific context, the judgment that we're talking about is that the enemy of our souls has already been judged. As Christians, this should encourage us immensely. Our enemy's already been defeated. God's already judged him. God's already passed judgment on him. He is a defeated foe. Even though Satan may have thought that when Jesus was crucified, he had the triumph, in fact, that was his complete undoing the moment that Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus was buried and then he came back three days later to life. Defeating sin and death and hell. Our, our adversary already been judged. Already been defeated. That's why Jesus at the very end of this passage can say, I've told you these things so that, I might, that, that in me you may have peace. You will have suffered in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus is victorious. Our enemy has been judged. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to the world. But let's look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He says this in verse 12, I have still many things to tell you so that you can bear, can't bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and he declares it to you. It's a couple of things that I think we need to really understand about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. First and foremost is this. He's called the spirit of truth. For the disciples, when Jesus was telling them this, the, the, the New Testament had not been finished. It had not been completed. The, the New Testament had not been fully written. 
So one of the things that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, was going to do is that he was going to inspire the writers of the New Testament to write the Scriptures so that the completed Word of God would be done. We would have it in front of us for us to read and study and learn and grow by. And so one of the things that the Spirit of Truth was going to do is he was going to inspire the whole, by the Holy Spirit, he was going to inspire, or through the Holy Spirit, the writers were going to be inspired by God to write the New Testament, write the Gospels, write the Epistles. So he was going to give us the truth through some of these individuals. But for us, as believers who have the Word of God in front of us now, we have the truth right here, right in front of us, and that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand this truth. He illumines this, illuminates this truth for us. So that if I want to know what God wants me to do, I read the word of God. The Holy Spirit helps me understand. If I need to understand what God doesn't want me to do, I read the word of God. He helps me to understand it. It is absolutely important that we understand in this day and age, a culture that has pretty well tried to erase truth, that we understand that as believers, we have the truth the word of God. Every word in the word of God is true completely. Completely dependable, completely without error. This is the word of God. And the Holy Spirit helps illuminate our minds as we read through the scriptures. He helps us understand it. He helps us to grasp it. He convicts us. He teaches us. He rebukes us. He corrects us through the word of God. He reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. He teaches us that we need to be like Christ. This mind being you that was also in Christ Jesus. The humility that Jesus had. The Holy Spirit wants us to have that in our lives. Holy Spirit indwells believers when they trust Christ as their Savior. He fills believers. He proclaims who Jesus is. He glorifies the Son. We need to understand that through the Holy Spirit, the Son is glorified. As the Son glorified the Father, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. In modern Christianity, we kind of get that all mixed up. In a lot of Christian churches, we spend an awful lot of time focusing on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in focusing on those spiritual gifts that we have or the spiritual gifts that we long for, we tend to put a whole lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. We tend to glorify the Holy Spirit, except that the Holy Spirit wasn't coming to glorify himself. He wasn't come to be getting the glory. He was coming to give God the glory, to give the Lord Jesus Christ the glory. The Holy Spirit points us towards Christ. We all too often spend a whole lot of time focusing on the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is trying to focus us on Christ. I want you to see this as I finish up in the sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. Ch turn over to Acts chapter 20, or chapter 2. We start in verse 22. This is the, the sermon that, the Lord, that, that Peter preaches. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come upon the believers. We see that early on in Acts chapter 2. 
It was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them and they speak in other tongues so that people can hear the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. It was such a, a, an amazing event that people were like, oh, these people must be drunk. Like, this is, this is craziness. And yet Jesus, and yet the Holy Spirit working in Peter as he opens up the word of God or as he opens up and preaches a message to the folks that are listening, this is what he says in his message. Being led by the Holy Spirit, he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. What's he gonna do? He's gonna now glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David said of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because I will not be abandoned in Hades. Excuse me. You will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently say to you about the patriarch David, he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on this throne, on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord declares to my Lord, sit at my right hand until your enemies are your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. As he preached a message glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, it says when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were convicted. And Peter said and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a fantastic message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the preeminent one. The Holy Spirit declares that. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is declared as the preeminent one. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit may very well be convicting you tonight of your sin. Confronting you with the fact that in light of who Jesus is, you're a sinful person and you need Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
He went to the cross of Calvary for your benefit. He died, was buried, rose again three days later for your benefit. Why? Because you're a sinful person and you need a Savior to save you from that sin. That's Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. And experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in your life. Teaching you, transforming you, making you more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can do is trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christian, Are you beginning to have a good understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit doing a work in your life? Are you spending time in God's Word letting the Holy Spirit teach you, mold you, make you, transform you? Are you spending more time in the world and grieving the Holy Spirit, breaking His heart because you're not living the life that God wants you to live? may very well be that as a Christian here tonight, you're experiencing some deep conviction by the Holy Spirit as well. Because you know that there's some areas in your life that you have not given over to the Lord. You've, you've held them back. You've, uh, this is a part of me I want. This is a piece of my life that I want to control. And instead, the Holy Spirit's, no, 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 you need to give that. You need to confess that sin. You need to give that area of your life over to me and let me control it. I have to be honest that through the course of this week, that's what the Lord's been wrestling or working on me about. This is what I've been wrestling about. How much am I letting the Holy Spirit control my life, guide my life, guide my thoughts? Am I letting him have his way in me the way that he desires to have his way in me? Or am I trying to do it on my own? Let me encourage you, let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life as he endeavors to do the work that God's called him to do. And that as he glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, that you would turn around and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ to others around you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ, the preeminent one. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God who died on the cross of Calvary was buried, who was raised three days later, who was victorious, who's conquered the world, who has victory over sin and death and hell. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's ministry of glorifying the Son, of convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, I think of the passage in Ephesians where we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not to be filled with wine, whereas then there's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We are to be, be, be being filled by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would just be so in tune with you that your Holy Spirit is just constantly filling us and using us. as your Holy Spirit does work a work in our lives, making us more like Christ, that we would be getting out there and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, preaching the gospel message to the world, inviting them to trust Christ as their Savior, as they desperately need. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen.